I had occasion to sit in criminal court last week in support of a friend and came up with the outline for this sermon while I waited and listened to many cases come before Judge Gay. Some of the defendants were brought in in handcuffs. Some walked in of their own free will. Two arrived in street clothes only to leave in the custody of the Sumner County Sheriff's Department headed toward the changing room to put on the dark and light gray striped jail attire that they wear. One that I remember so distinctly because he begged. I mean, he begged the judge. And the judge was hard on him. It was a young man who had, who had violated his parole. You see, he'd already been to jail. He'd already been let out of jail and put on parole. Already been to drug treatment. Violating your parole for this judge is a no-no. He doesn't like it when you violate parole. Have to be before him again. But he begged, he pleaded. For, I mean, he pleaded for just one more chance. Judge Gay said, how many chances, how many violations should happen before punishment is enacted? The man begged to go to rehab. He begged to go to rehab. Like I said, he'd already been to jail. He'd already been on probation. He'd He'd already been to rehab. He begged to go to rehab again. The judge said, you've broken the public's trust. Jail can't change your heart. Probation can't change your heart. Rehab won't change your heart. What the judge was saying is, at some point, you have got to change your heart. Most of the time, when trust is broken, the law is not involved. Can't step in when trust is broken. Many of us have experienced that unfavorable sensation of when trust is gone. What happens when when trust is gone? What happens? How should you act when you're the, the victim of wrongdoing? When somebody's hurt you deeply and badly. Maybe you love them, maybe you don't. But you're hurt nonetheless. And you seem like you're maybe all alone in the world. If you have wronged someone and you know it, how can you begin to regain this lost trust? These questions can be answered by looking at the life of of Jesus Christ and the subsequent teachings of the apostles. Enemies are everywhere. This time of year, it seems like there are so, so many people with their hand out, doesn't it? Who do you trust? There's so many people that need help. So many people that are asking for your personal help. What can you do? How can you make sure? Many in our society have become jaded because of the few in the past who've had their hand out and... They had evil, emotion, evil motives and intentions. Jason Steele of Money Talks News wrote last month of the 12 scams of Christmas. 
That was what his article was entitled. He wrote this, The holiday season is a great time for giving, but sadly there always seems to be people who want to prey on our generosity and good cheer in order to rip us off. Still cites scams such as fake holiday help where you think you're going to get a job and you know in this economy that we have right now, you think you're getting a job, but really all they want is your social security number so they can steal your identity. Check scams, counterfeit merchandise, uh, fake vacation rentals, email scams, items off the truck. You think you're buying a stolen item for cheap, you know? Bait and switch schemes, heavy fee layaway schemes. The bottom line, he writes, 99% of scams happen when we are too gullible, too greedy, or in too much of a hurry. Be generous, he says, but be vigilant. You may have been burnt, burnt and burnt hard recently. What can you do? Look to Jesus. Did Jesus have occasion not to trust? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. He did on numerous occasions. Let's look and see how Jesus handled the loss of trust. Jesus was a man of sorrows, Isaiah 53, verse 3. Jesus was despised by his family, Mark, excuse me, Matthew chapter 13, verse 55. He was despised by the, the establishment, by the man. Luke chapter 16, verse 14. And many even attacked Jesus' sanity. John chapter 10 and verse 20. He was mocked, Matthew 27, verse 29. He was insulted, Luke 23, verse 39. Jesus endured much humiliation. Jesus, uh, Philip excuse me, Philippians chapter 2 verse 7, made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death of the cross. Jesus was humble. But the human part of Jesus had to hurt when he was, when he was betrayed, especially by his friends and his family and his disciples. In John chapter 6, Jesus had a, had a following. He had a numerous people that were following him. And he keeps saying things that push them away. Verse 51, Jesus says that he's the living bread and, and, and that's my flesh. That living bread is my flesh and you've got to eat my flesh, he says. And those listening, they can't stand it. How can, you, how can he give us his flesh to eat, they say. And, and, and Jesus goes on to say, verse 53, you've got to drink my blood and eat my flesh. What? Verse 60, it says, of John chapter 6, Therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? And then it says in verse 66, From that time many of his disciples went back, and walked with him no more. The trust was gone on their part. They couldn't trust Jesus. And he couldn't trust those who left him. So what did Jesus do? Well, just a few verses later, it says, And he ran after them, and he begged them to come back. No. No, that's not what the Bible says. That's not what Jesus did. What, did it, what does it say? It didn't say anything. 
He let them go. When they despised him and turned their back on him, he didn't run after him and beg them, please come back, please. Come back and follow me again, no. He just let them go. Let them go. He knew he couldn't make them follow him. Jesus kept being Jesus and he had to let them go. One of Jesus' followers there who, who continued to follow him that day conspired with the Jewish leaders to betray Jesus while Jesus was praying in the garden. It says in Luke 22 verse 48, His betrayer had given them a sign saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one, seize him. Immediately he went up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. But Jesus said to him, Friend, why have you come? There should be no trust left after this, should there? Jesus knew the hearts of all men, and there should be no trust there in the garden. But Jesus calls Judas friend. And Jesus asked Judas a question that must have haunted Judas and should haunt some of you today. Why have you come? Why? Then it says that Jesus cursed Judas for his treachery and he played plans with the other disciples to make him pay. No. That's not what it says, is it? It's not what the Bible says. Jesus didn't confire with the other apostles to, to make Judas pay. We're going to make Judas pay for his treachery. No. What's it say? I didn't say anything. Jesus did nothing to Judas. He let him go. He just let it go. In chapter 27, Judas hung himself. In Matthew 26, one of Jesus' best friends, Peter, said in verse 35, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. But... Just as Jesus predicted, Peter later on in chapter 26 denied Jesus three times, didn't he? When Peter cursed and swore the last time, verse 74 says, he says, he cursed and swore, I don't know the man. The Bible says, immediately a rooster crowed and Peter remembered the word of Jesus who said to him before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and he wept bitterly. Of course, Jesus was in custody. He couldn't let Peter go. Of course, I believe, I believe Peter showed true remorse here. On a recent marriage advice and relationship forum that I ran across online, it was, it's run by 12 marriage therapists. The question about remorse was asked, about a cheating spouse. The question was, how do you tell if your disloyal spouse is or is not remorseful? One of the therapists wrote this. Remorse is when you feel very guilty and sad about something you have done. To know what you have done to another person means having the capability of putting yourself in their shoes or walking a mile in their shoes and see and feel what happened through their eyes, mind, emotions, etc. In other words, 
It needs the capability of empathy for another person's situation. Empathy and remorse go hand in hand. Without empathy, there can be no remorse. Some people are capable of a lot more empathy than others. Those that do not have any empathy for other people are called psychopaths. Empathy is in large part, is a large part of being a normal human being. For those caught in affairs, I think their focus is almost totally upon themselves, their situation and their feelings. That is, they are totally and utterly selfish, and while in that state or mode, they do not have the capability whatsoever with empathizing with their partner. And because of that, they cannot see or understand what they have done and the impact is had on the, and the impact that that's had on their partner, and therefore they do not show any remorse because they are not remorseful. In fact, in their eyes, You probably deserved it, which is, of course, the opposite of empathy and remorse. Selfishness. It's the root cause of many trust issues, is it not? Somebody's being selfish. If not all trust issues, selfishness is the root cause. The disciples, they could not grasp the hard teachings of Jesus. And in their selfishness, they walked away. Judas, for selfish gain, he betrayed the Christ. And in selfish remorse, killed himself. Peter, when it came down to it, was selfish with his life. And as Christ predicted, denied Christ three times. Later, after the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus, He restored a penitent Peter in John chapter 21. When Jesus could, He forgave. He forgave those who used Him. You know, Pontius Pilate washed his hands of Christ. The Romans and the the Jews, they crucified Jesus on the cross. Like we sang this morning, He could have called 10,000 angels. But He didn't. He didn't. He did nothing. Nothing but forgive. Jesus' ultimate reaction, Luke 23, verse 34, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. The selfish don't, do they? They just don't understand. They don't get it. Could you react that way? Oh, I put it on you. Could you react that way? You've been hurt. How did you react? How have you reacted? Trust is gone. What did you do? Did you rail against the system? Or do nothing? Did you forgive when you could? It's possible to live the life of Christ. Amen? It's possible to do this. It's not impossible to live this way. 
Jesus makes peace with our enemies possible by providing peace with God. Romans chapter 5, verse 1, We who have been justified by faith have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. To have peace with our enemies, we must first have peace with God. Jesus makes peace with our enemies possible by teaching us to love our enemies. Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, Love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Jesus offers this peace of mind. John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus says, In me you can have peace. So, so first of all, we, we've got to have our priorities right. To make peace with our enemies, we've got to have our priorities correct. We've got to be in Christ, first of all. To be in Christ, what that means, to, be, to be, get into Christ, you get into Christ by being baptized into Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 3, verse 27, if you stay in Him by putting God first in your life, Matthew 6, verse 33, seeking God's kingdom, this should be our top priority, to seek God's kingdom first. And it must be done to have true peace of mind in our lives. Have true peace with our enemies. God must be sought first. That must be our top priority. Prioritize and simplify. To have peace with our enemies, we must simplify our lives. In Luke chapter 10, verses 41 and 42, Martha was worried and troubled about many things, it says. All these things that you're worried about. And the more things you have will keep us from true peace. Prioritize your life. Simplify your life. And have faith. It's impossible to please God without faith. Hebrews 11 verse 6. We can trust God. You may have issues with trust, but trust me. You can trust God. Run to Him. You know, I, I always say that. You know, in times of stress and in, in times of hurt, I, I always see people run to one of two ways. They either run to God or they run away from God. I'm telling you now, church, run to God in times of trouble. Prioritize. Simplify, have faith, and pray, 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 pray. Pray a lot. Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, pray about everything with thankfulness in your heart, And in there is a promise of peace. Promise. Look at what Peter writes. 1 Peter. The man who denied Jesus, who was afraid to let others know he was a follower of Jesus Christ. You don't know anybody like that, do you? Somebody who's afraid to let, let others know they're a follower of Jesus. You don't know anybody like that, do you? But we know Peter. 
Look at what he says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed, he says. You're blessed if you're doing right. Even if you're betrayed, even if all the trust is gone, you're blessed if you're doing right. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that's in you with meekness and with fear. We, we sanctify or, or we set apart the Lord in our hearts. We make Him the ruler of our lives. Unless we do this, we'll always be afraid of the next scammer to come around the corner. Because we have hope, you see. And we can tell the reason for this hope. You know, if you can tell the reason, if you can teach it to somebody, you understand it. If you can tell the reason for the hope that's in you, you understand the hope that's in you. Nobody can take that away from you. Nobody. That's unshakable. That hope should be unshakable. Even if people harm you, even if people mistreat you, even when all the trust is gone, if you understand that hope and you can tell it to somebody else, you've got something that nobody can take away from you. Verse 16, having a good conscience. If you, if you feel guilty, get rid of the guilt. You've got to have a good conscience. So you can have peace that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better if it is the, for it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Why? Why is it better to suffer for doing good than to suffer for doing evil? Well, verse eighteen: For Christ also suffered once for sins that just for the unjust, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. If we're wronged, we've got to remember that we were unjust, but were brought to God by just Christ. He suffered, and we're to follow his example. 1 Peter 2, 21. What if you've done something to, to lose the trust of someone? What if you've been bad? People don't trust you anymore. Maybe you've hurt one in your life. Maybe there's been a few people in your life. Maybe there's a whole lot of people who have been hurt because of you. What can you do? Well, the advice is very similar to the, to the one that I gave, the one you hurt. First, put God first. Prioritize. Seek God's forgiveness. And then seek the forgiveness of the one you've wronged. David, when he committed adultery, he said this in Psalm 51 verse 4. To, to God, he said this to God, against you and you only have I sinned. We must seek God's forgiveness. And we can do that today in one of two ways. First, if you have not, you can be baptized and have your sins washed away. Acts chapter 22 verse 16. But this will first require repentance upon your part. 
You've got to be willing to repent of those sins that you've committed. Every one of them, if need be. If you've harmed someone, you must say you're sorry and ask them for their forgiveness. Jesus gives us this principle in Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 through 25. Before you worship, he says, make things right with your brother. If you are a Christian, you don't have to be baptized over and over and over again. It says in 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, if you confess your sin to God, He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin. You can trust God. So if you have broken trust, prioritize your life. Put God first, ask His forgiveness, and ask the forgiveness of the one you've wronged. And God, next... It says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, you need to transform. Don't be conformed to this world, but transform, be transformed. A command by the renewing of your mind, you must be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You you know, you must have been selfishly out of your mind to do what you did. So be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Renew that mind. Our example, Jesus was betrayed. He was denied. He was left. He was crucified. What did He do? He let it go. He forgave. We can trust a Savior who's been through the worst and came out of it the best. How many chances will you get to make it right? The judge asks you. How many chances will you get? If you've broken the trust, or if you need prayers for strength, come right now. Together we stand and sing.